Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Hanukkah starts tomorrow night, and if you head downtown, the mayor and community leaders will be lighting a 12-foot-tall menorah at the city-county building. But did you know that back in the 80s, there was a fight over this menorah that made it all the way to the Supreme Court? Today, I'm with John Pashinsky, one of the lawyers on that case, to talk about Pittsburgh in the spotlight, plus what it felt like to eat lunch in the justices' cafeteria. It's Wednesday, December 6th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. John, I am so excited to talk to you today. You were one of the lawyers that sued Allegheny County back in 1986 over two religious displays on government property. The menorah, of course, next to this Christmas tree at the city county building and also a nativity scene or a crash, which at the time was at the county courthouse. I want to know what was the legal issue in your mind with these displays? Sure. Uh, The First Amendment to the United States Constitution uh, says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. According to our history, that has been a clause of the Constitution that has required a separation of church and state. Right. Uh, This actually protected two values. One is that it allowed the individual to believe in the divine as he or she wanted to or didn't want to without impacting that person's relationship with government. And two is it elevated religion because when government gets involved with religion, it typically demeans it. Uh, By way of example, if one looks at any coin, the phrase, in God we trust, appears on the coin. In my religious tradition, uh, the name of God is considered holy, and one would not consider placing that object containing the name of God on the floor. It is uh, revered, and yet uh, money it exchanges hands, it's dropped on the ground, no one thinks anything of it, so that actually the name of God becomes meaningless uh, when it is usurped by government and used for secular purposes. And before our recording, you know, you shared that you're Jewish. I'm sure that's informed so much about your legal practice. When talking about it amongst our team, we thought it was really interesting that you pinpointed the menorah and the crash but not the Christmas tree. Why didn't you include it too? Well, uh, there was a very strategic reason for not including it, is we, uh, even though uh, most non-Christians may believe that the Christmas tree is, has a religious, uh, is a religious symbol of the Christian holiday, we did not think the court would take our cases seriously Uh, by challenging the tree uh, because many people characterize the tree as the secular symbol of the Christmas holiday. Um, And we thought that if we had also challenged the Christmas tree, 
it may have um, diluted uh, the effect of our arguments on the two symbols uh, that were obviously more religious, the nativity scene, uh, which was crowned with an angel bearing a banner saying, uh, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest, and the Hanukkah menorah, which is a symbol of the menorah, which was maintained in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And so uh, we focused on uh, the two symbols that we thought would be uh, widely recognized as religious symbols. Fair to say you picked your battles. Correct. <laughs> so the plaintiffs you represented included the ACLU and people from the city with all sorts of religious backgrounds. The defendants were our local governments, the city and the county. What was their argument to keeping these religious displays up? The county's argument with respect to the nativity scene was that Christmas was a national holiday and that the government had the right to celebrate a national holiday with uh, symbols. Uh, with respect to the city, we first wrote letters to both governmental entities prior to filing the lawsuit uh, requesting that the displays be removed. Uh, both entities refused. The city then modified its display by putting a sign on the Christmas tree base uh, celebrating the season of lights and claim that since it celebrated Christmas with the Christmas tree, uh, it should also be able to have a symbol of the Jewish holiday. Of course, this does nothing for the non-Jewish and non-Christian members of our community. And I, at one point, facetiously asked the city solicitor what he would do if the Hindus uh, wanted to put up a 40-foot statue of Ganesh, the multi-armed elephant god, and mm -hmm. place that next to the Christmas tree in the Hanukkah Menorah, uh, because uh, once they start putting up uh, symbols like that, they cannot discriminate between different traditions and symbology. And what did the city solicitor say in return? Uh, I don't recall. It was, it was a facetious question. It was plucky. I'll give you that. You know, being plucky can be fun. I remember one of the county commissioners being quoted as saying that the nativity scene would come down over his dead body. And my reply was, I would not ask the court to order that relief. <laughs> it sounds like you were clever to behold in court.
The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. Well, so this case makes it all the way to the Supreme Court in 1989. Three years you worked on this. Um, what was it like for you as an attorney to go there, to you know, stand on those steps and, and bear that mantle, as it were? Uh, speaking for myself only, and there were three of us, mm-hmm. uh, it was fairly um, overwhelming. Uh, I had never been to the Supreme Court before. The three of us went a couple of days early to uh, scope it out, to sit in on other arguments, to see how it went. And I recall that when it came time to um, argue our case and some gong goes off and the nine justices step out from behind a purple curtain and we were standing before uh, the justices who would decide our case. I remember, and I don't know if you're going to be able to play this, but I remember thinking, oh shit, I really know what I'm doing by bringing this case here. (laughs) Um, You know, am I doing the right thing? I imagine it's got to be so intimidating. You know, you're at the highest level of our judiciary and there's so much pomp and circumstance. It's not an experience most of us get. So we'll jump ahead a little bit. You got a big decision and the Supreme Court chose something unexpected. The menorah could stay, but the creche could not. What was your initial reaction to this? I thought it was a very big mistake on the part of the court, and it was also highly unexpected on my part. I believe that the court would either allow both displays or strike both displays. I think that by allowing the display of the religious symbol of the Jewish holiday, and the court acknowledged that the menorah was a religious symbol, not a secular symbol, and disallowing the religious symbol of the Christian holiday, I thought that the court was actually issuing a decision that would foster divisiveness in the community and that there would be a lot of questions raised as to uh, why should the Jews be allowed to have their symbol and we, the Christians, not allowed to have our symbol. So I I was very surprised by that. But in any event, that was the decision. 
Well, so this ruling comes out in 1989. Um, in the years since, what would you say has been the legacy of this case? You know, because it didn't just affect two holiday displays in Pittsburgh. I'm sure um, usually when there's a case from the Supreme Court, it impacts a lot more beyond one single instance. Well, it, it reinforced uh, the importance of the separation of church and state in the entire body of legal decisions up to that point in time. And there were efforts to minimize the value of separation between government and religion. And so that this case stood as a bulwark against the efforts to step back from that principle of our government. Right. Well, and so let's talk about the fallout a little These days, if someone's strolling through downtown this time of year, you will see the enormous Christmas tree and the city county building, the big portico there and the menorah right next to it. And then they moved the crush down the street. Now it's in the U.S. Steel Plaza. So on private property. I'm curious how you feel when you see these displays like the tree and the menorah still at the city county building today. I don't think they belong there. Uh, government should enable individuals to celebrate their individual holidays, but government doesn't celebrate religion. And that the display of the Hanukkah menorah is an insult to Judaism. There are some Jews who like it and think that if the Christian symbol should be up, then so should the Jewish symbol. But I don't accept that view personally. What about seeing the crush on public display still, but not on government property anymore? Does that feel like a win? Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, Individuals, private citizens have the right to put up whatever symbols they want, other than the fact that federal bankruptcy court is housed in the steel building. Good point, uh, John. And I once kidded the chief judge of our district about Uh, perhaps I should sue him to force uh, the federal court to remove uh, bankruptcy court uh, from the steel building. But I was just joking around with him (laughs) at that point. But the steel plaza is private property. They can put up whatever they want. I have nothing to say about it. John, I feel like your jokes at parties must be taken with a... (laughs) An extra grain of salt if that's how you present them. John Fashinsky is a lawyer focused on civil rights and civil liberties litigation. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Megan. It's been a pleasure. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell someone, leave us a nice review, a nice rating. We really appreciate it. And make sure you're subscribed to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. And so the morning of our argument, we had breakfast in the Supreme Court cafeteria. And I'm also not an experience most people get. <laughs> right. And, and I'm pushing my tray uh, down the line in the cafeteria. And I look to my right and one of the justices is standing next to me getting his breakfast. 
And then when we got our food and went into the room where we were eating, another justice was sitting at the next table having breakfast with his clerks. And I remember wanting to run around the room asking the justices to autograph my brief 